Praise the Lord. Our, our theme for this Easter is called Hope is Alive. And church, hope is alive because hope for us is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. So hope is alive this morning. Why do we focus on that? Because I've learned that Jesus can be counted on. I've learned that Jesus was somebody, the Bible says, that was acquainted with sorrows. He was acquainted with being abandoned when he was on the cross. He was acquainted with difficulties and things that came against him. So the reason that we can trust God and trust his word is because God knows what it's like to be us. Hope is alive this morning. You know, when God wanted to communicate to his creation... He didn't split the heavens and speak audibly. How many wish this morning that would be the case? I kind of wish God would just sometimes just let me see him and let me hear him speak audibly to me. But everything God wanted to say to us is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Everything that he wanted to say, everything he wanted to communicate to us. So if you have your Bible this morning, turn to Mark chapter 16. And I love this part of the story. There are four characters found in this story that I'm going to pull out. And the four characters we're going to read about are, of course, the two Marys that were going to the tomb early that morning on the morning Jesus rose again. And also it mentions Peter in there. There's also somebody in there that I really want to focus on this morning by way of just giving you maybe a different sermon this morning. How many like different a little bit? I promise you, you've never heard this title to an Easter message. You ready? Sit on it. You guys thought you came to hear a C.S. Lewis quote or maybe some Spurgeon. I chose Arthur Fonzarelli today as our jumping off point. Listen, everybody say sit on it. Don't sit under it. You guys were you guys were much much more gusto with the sit on it. You guys like that, don't you? But these four characters in this story this morning, I think, will help us see what was really going on and, and to set a little bit of a stage before we get to our scripture. Understand the utter disappointment everybody who followed Jesus closely was feeling on resurrection morning. On that morning, you would have had Peter and John and some of the other disciples were sitting around a table that they had just a few days before celebrated Passover, and Jesus loved on them. Jesus encouraged them. Jesus washed their feet, and they celebrated the new covenant with the, the, the blood and the bread that was broken. And, of course, they were locked away at this table. They were fearful. They were concerned. They had to be thinking, I left my job, my family. I left everything to follow Jesus, and now he's gone. And, of course, as we pick up this story this morning here in Mark, Mary and Mary that were going to the tomb that day, they're walking along, and I'm sure the the disappointment and the discouragement and the hurt and the pain had to be palpable that morning. It had to be very, very heavy upon them. So by way of just setting this up, I want to talk about some of these characters, especially in the theme of hope that I want to give today, that I hope you leave here today with fresh hope in your heart because hope is alive. Even even the the men that were on the the road to Emmaus, and I kind of have to chuckle at this when you read it, the men that were on the road to Emmaus, it was two disciples of Jesus, and Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has been laid in a borrowed tomb. Jesus has now risen, but they don't know it. They don't know that Jesus has, has risen. So the Bible says that they were walking away from Jerusalem. And guys, sometimes in our life, we're walking away from all the hope and all the plans and everything we thought was going to happen, and we're walking away from that. And I love that it says that Jesus just kind of comes up alongside them, and they did not recognize him. But there's, there's, there's a few words in there that I want to point out, and it said this when, when Jesus starts to begin to open the scriptures, and he begins to ask them. He asks them, why are you so downcast? Why, what's wrong? And they kind of laughingly, you, 
you know, are you living under a rock? You know, the, the, this whole, whole city's in turmoil and uproar over what happened just a few days before. And here's the words that they said. We had hoped. We had hoped. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we pray? Father, my prayer is simple today. God, my prayer today is that, Lord God, everyone here, some for the very first time, Lord Jesus, would realize just how much you love them. God, I pray you saturate this place with your presence as we honor you with your word today. In Jesus' holy name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Look at Mark chapter 16. This is our text today, and there's just a few things that I want to dig out of this. But again, my title is Sit on It, Don't Sit Under It. I'm going to tie all that. You guys are thinking, how's he going to tie that together? Just hang with me. Hang with me. You guys are going to hang with me? All right. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they may go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been already rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. I believe the Lord sent me here on an on assignment today to give you a word of hope, to give you a word of encouragement. And today hope is alive because he is risen and risen indeed and sits at the right hand of the Father forevermore. There's some things that strike me as I read this, as I prepared and I began to just read through the accounts of Passion Week and this whole week I've just been focusing in on the final week of Jesus and there were so many things going on. I really felt led, two things I felt led to do, to, to be here in this passage in Mark 16 for my Easter message, but also what the Holy Spirit has just been kind of touching my heart with and speaking to me is that we can get so wrapped up in Christianity, in church, and even people. Church, we forget to be fascinated with who he is. I've been doing this a long time. I've been walking with the Lord for over 25 years now. And can I tell you, I just freshly fall in love with Jesus this past week all over again. Because hope is alive. But I want to point something out. The last time these women were at this tomb that they're walking to, everything was completely different. Everything had been left in its place. The last time they were there was on Friday when Joseph, think about this, Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, they say, this was his borrowed tomb that they laid Jesus in. They take him down off the cross and Joseph lays the, think about the son of God, lifeless, limp, beaten, bloody, hurt, wounded, and dead, crucified. They put him on the shoulder. They lay him in the tomb, and and they roll the stone over the entrance. And my first point today is, is the last time they saw Jesus was in a graveyard. And I think for many of us, the last place we left God was in a grave. Come on, somebody. In other words, we leave off where we feel like God left us. Let me say it again. We leave off where we feel like God left us. The, The characters here as we open, Mary, Mary, and Salome, as they're going to the tomb, as they're going to anoint Jesus' body, everything has changed. They just didn't know it yet. Church, we left God where we feel he left us. Listen. It's that place where God seems to have gone silent. In other words, God is silent for you young people. God ghosted them, they felt. Come on. God was completely silent, and they didn't know what was going on in this moment. 
And I think for these women, even though Jesus had told them over and over and over again that there's going to be pain ahead, he told them over and over again there's going to be difficulty. He told them over and over again, I will be put in the hands of the authorities, be crucified, and on the third day, over and over again, he had prepared them and told them, but how many can understand something? When somebody else is telling you about their pain and their difficulty, it doesn't hit home, but when the pain shows up at your door, the pain hits different. Come, come on. Listen, when, when, when you get a call, we've all been through the last two years of some really difficult circumstances. Can anybody witness that? For the last couple of years, we've, people have dealt with loss of jobs, loss of income. Some I'm looking at this morning or looked at loss of family members and loved ones and, and loss after loss after loss. But some of you this morning are still talking about God like he is still in the grave because you have left God where you feel like God left you. Come on, are you tracking with me today? They had, they had left God where they thought he left him. But as they're walking towards this tomb, they make a statement and they say, how are we going to move the obstacle that's in our way? Has anybody found that when pain does show up at your door, it seems like pain gives you pushback and pushback and pushback? Anybody witness that with me today? In other words, it feels like ahead are all obstacles Ahead are all difficulties that they felt like they couldn't come or overcome. And again, I feel like many of us, we, we visit a gravestone and many of you are talking to God like he's in the grave and you're talking to a headstone, hoping God is going to answer. But I came to tell you something today. The obstacle that they thought was in their way had already been dealt with and it had already been taken out of the way. It had already been rolled back. Everybody say roll back. Roll back. We, we say this to ourselves. God, this is what they were saying. And when we are in a place where we left God, where we feel like God left us, then we begin to say, how am I going to break through the obstacles facing me? Some of you in here, you don't even expect victory anymore. You don't even expect God to come through anymore. You don't even expect goodness to come from the hand of the Lord. Because we say this, we say when the pain shows up, remember they're in pain, they're in hurt, they're in incredible disappointment. The one that we loved, the one that we followed, the one that we served, the one that we believed was the son of the living God is now laid behind a stone. We say this in our own circumstances, in our own trials. God, I didn't ask for this depression. God, I didn't ask for this marriage to be over. God, I didn't ask to lose my job. God, I didn't ask for this person to come against me at work or whatever something you're facing. But can I tell you something this morning? They had to go back, and I want to remind some of you today, go back and check the grave again because he's not there anymore, and the obstacle that was causing them pain and pushback was no longer there because, church, he is risen from the dead. Hmm. Here's what the scripture says. They looked up. Everybody say, look up. Can I give you some encouragement today? If you're downcast, all you have to do is begin to look up. Because the thing that may be in your way has already been moved by the God you thought had left you. God does not leave us and God does not forsake us. God goes before us and God prepares a way where there is no way. God does what only God can do. We can't roll the stone away. Can I tell you something this morning? If you came in here and you feel the weight of sin, you can't roll that away. But I know somebody that can. His name is Jesus Christ. Verse 4 says, But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Church, I know, and visitors, I know that that thing that is in front of you seems so large and so big and so heavy that it can't be rolled away. But can I tell you something this morning? Even the biggest obstacle is small to our God. Look back down at verse 5 with me. This is the meat of my sermon. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. I'd be alarmed too. I'm just going to be honest with you. Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. 
He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Church, the place where you left God because you thought God left you wasn't God leaving you. It was God lifting you up in his grace. The place where you left God because you thought he left you was not him leaving you. The place where they had left in pain and despair on Friday had become ground zero for the grace and the mercy and the power of God in this story. His power is able to raise up every dead thing in your life and in my life because that is what resurrection power does. And church, can I tell you this? I'll come down here and tell you. If he didn't stay in the grave, neither should you. Some of you have traveled here looking and you think you're going to find a gravestone. You, you, you think you're going to talk to a gravestone. My God is not dead. My God is alive. In church, in this story, it's so amazing because not only do you have the characters of, of the women going to the tomb and what obstacle they had, they were in so much pain, their thought had to be, well, I've left there, I left the tomb the way it was because that's how God left it. And some of you haven't visited certain relationships and certain challenges in your life and even things that are going on because you think that you're going to come back to it just the same. But when God is silent... He's always doing his best work because in this situation, all God wanted them to do was to trust in what he had already said. Had he not told them many times, hey, this is going to happen, but what? I am going to be raised up. Tear this temple down and in three days I'll raise it up again. And it went right over their head. Can I tell you this morning, it goes right over all of our heads because we're afraid of graveyards and we're afraid of things we think are dead and dying. And God says, don't be afraid because I am a God of resurrection life. Think about Peter. I love how I love how the angel says, "Go and tell the disciples and Peter." You're looking at a Peter this morning. I say things I shouldn't say. I do things I shouldn't do, and and I I I I connect with Peter. I do. I just kind of connect with him because it always seems like he's getting in trouble. Amen. Does anybody else just kind of connect with Peter? And listen, he, he had, let's go back through Peter's failures. Lord, I will not forsake you. I will not leave you. I will not deny you. Another, right before this, he rebukes Jesus for saying he's going to the cross. And Jesus literally says, get behind me, Satan. This is, this is, my, this is God's plan and I'm going to follow it. And listen, not only have some of you left God at the place you thought he left you, some of you are like a Peter this morning that you've left God and he's never left you. But there's another person in this story and here's, here's, here's what I want to talk about today. Everybody say sit down. Sit down. Wait, what? Sit down? There's a fascinating study I did one time on, I looked up every time that the Bible said somebody sat down. And what, what I found fascinating, and I'll, I'll do this quickly just, again, to lay a little foundation of what really, what I feel like God wants to say to everybody here this morning is that in the Bible when somebody sat down, there's other people when it says they sat down, they either, they either sat on something or they sat under something. And in particular, Elijah is somebody that ran from his problem can I tell you, whenever we run from something, we're always running to something. And the two isn't always where God wants us to end up. And Elijah sits down, it says, under a broom tree. And, and he wasn't just sitting down in the natural sense. He sat down in his soul because it literally says, I would rather die. So I want to talk about seats for a minute. We love to pick out seats, right? Anybody else like to pick out a seat? Look, it happened in here this morning, right? I mean, some of y'all are sitting in the back because you got kids, right? 
and you may need to get up in case they start crying. So you sit more towards the back. You notice these are kind of empty up here because pastor's known to spray a little bit. So you just, you're like, I'll just stay back here because I know that guy gets to preaching and he gets to, yeah. So I apologize to everybody here in the front. I'll back up for just a second. But listen, we love to pick out seats, right? We, we love to come in. What, what about a movie theater? My, it drives my wife crazy. I like to sit all the way in the very top of the movie theater so nobody will be behind me. Because I was raised by a name named James Hanks, who was a sergeant in the Army and a law enforcement officer for many years. And what did he teach me? He said, Jason, never sit with your back to the door. He said, that's how Wyatt Earp died. I'm like, I'm 10 years old. I don't know who Wyatt Earp is, and I don't know why he got shot. But even my own father told me to pick a seat, and I came to tell you this morning, it's your choice in what seat you're going to sit in this morning. You're either going to sit on it or you're going to sit under it. Where you sit matters. In the Bible... People either sat on their problem in victory or sat under their problem in defeat. Now, the interesting thing about, here's what it says. It says what? The angel came and sat down. Does anybody else find that fascinating? That is a fascinating element of the story that I just began to think about and ponder and really felt like the Holy Spirit quickened me to tell some of you this morning, some of you are sitting under something that God called you to sit on top of. Now, the interesting thing about this is this, is when the, you know what the Greek word for sit under is? Sit under. (laughs) Told you I was going to go deep today. Just prepare yourself. But do you know what the Greek word for sit on is? Above and beyond and higher than. That's the Greek word for sit upon. And here's what I want to tell you today. Now, think about what he sat on. There's something very symbolic about what it is that he sat on that day because listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. The very thing that the enemy had tried to use to stop Jesus was the very thing that they found the angel sitting on the morning of Easter. I want to tell you something. It's your choice today to choose to believe that God has rolled stones away and God has paid a price and God has made a way where there is no way and you are not called to sit under the enemy. You're called to sit over the enemy and called to be victorious and called to be above only and not beneath, the Bible says. Sit on it, not under it. And again, I, you know, let me, give, let me give you my sanctified imagination. When I read stuff like this, my imagination just goes wild. We kind of think that it was just, just this nice angel and he was, had his hands folded maybe and maybe his, his legs crossed in this moment. I don't think it was that at all. I think this angel was so excited for somebody to show up that he's just in there like, I don't know, like Joey from Friends. How you doing? (laughs) Somebody's here because he's so excited. He's not here. He's sitting on it saying the very thing that the enemy meant for evil, God turned it for our best good because resurrection life came out of the tomb. And I don't think they rolled the stone away. I think it blew apart. You had an angel sitting on top of the tomb and you had an angel sitting on top or the stone and you had an angel sitting on top of a tomb. Here's my question this morning. What has the enemy tried to roll in front of you? What circumstances are you facing? What issues are you facing? What financial struggle? What relational issues? What marriage issues? What work issues? What issue? What sadness did you walk in here with? And here's the thing. We get to make the decision where we're gonna sit. Because here's what I found in my life, church. I can't sit in both places. There is no halfway in your service and love in your relationship with the Lord. And there is no halfway of where you sit. You're either going to sit under it or you're going to sit on top of it. 
And I came just to tell you today, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you have a seat saved for you. Anybody else love it when somebody pays for your seat? Come on, wave your hand at me. Yeah. Isn't that a great feeling? I had such a, a, an awesome experience with this very thing. Lee and I lived down in New Orleans, Louisiana. And uh, any time that they would have a big event in New Orleans that would include my college football team, I'm there. I'm ready to go. And here just, it was several years ago. I think it was 2007, 2008. How many know time flies? I, that's not a few years ago. That's like a long time ago. My football team was playing in a bowl game down in New Orleans called the Sugar Bowl. So anytime there was a big event that, that was within our, our area, my brothers would call me and they would say, hey, let's go to this game. So I got a call from my brothers in Ohio. Let's buy tickets. We bought tickets, planned it all. A couple weeks after we bought the tickets, I had a good friend of mine call me and he said, hey, of course, they're Tiger fans. They could care less about the game because they were playing Arkansas that year. And uh, he calls me up and he says, hey, I've got a distributor that has a suite in the Superdome on the 50-yard line. Yes. I started, I feel the Lord right now just talking about it, to be honest with you. I feel him. And naturally, I'm like, yes, absolutely. I had never been. Listen, when I would buy tickets, I would buy the cheapest seats in the house. I mean, I, I because of the cost and everything else. So, Historically, when I went to any game, I'm in the nosebleed section. I mean, it's like, is there a football game going on down there on the field? And he called me a couple days later, and he said, I got four tickets, 50-yard line, food. Can I tell you something this morning? When God gives you a seat, everything's provided. <laughs> I mean, I never, I'd never done anything like that. I mean, we still had the other tickets, so me and my brother was like, what are we going to do with these? And my friend's now going. So I said, let's give them to our wives. <laughs> Did we not? Bless their hearts. They were so far up there. We couldn't even see them while I was eating my, my steak dinner there in my leather seat with TVs and on the 50-yard line. Couldn't even see them. But can I tell you a part of that story that I think will relate to you when it comes to an invitation to a seat that he has paid for? Church, you can either sit on it or you can sit under it. I accepted the invitation. Of course, it was, it was completely provided free of charge. Nothing that I could do. And here's, I mean, I was so proud to walk around New Orleans that day with my ticket. I bought me a lanyard with it right here. Like, I'd see other Ohio State fans, and it said sweet, real big letters in gold right down there. I still had the ticket hanging in my house. That's how special this whole thing was to me. You're like, Pastor, you got problems. I know it. I know. But it makes a good sermon illustration. So I'm wearing this, and I'd never been to the Superdome at this point. It's 2007. I'd never been there. And so I come up, up the escalators, and my friend had... And he was in the very back, so it was me and my couple of my brothers right directly behind me, and he was in the back. And listen, as I came up those escalators, right there in front of me going down a hall was a security guard with a badge, a police officer, and a ticket person. And I started to walk towards there, and I started, I started to feel like you don't belong in the suite. You belong in the nosebleeds. And for probably 10, 15, 30 seconds as I walked up, to show my ticket, I felt like she was going to tell me access denied. Can I tell you something this morning? The seat that God has saved, he paid for with his blood. He paid for with his life. He paid for so that he sets a table before us. The table is prepared, ready, and, and able. And I kid you not, the Holy Spirit reminded me this. I said, Lord, I won't say this if this wasn't picked up the ticket and kind of showed it to her. And here's what she says. I walked in. Boy, somebody paid a good price for that. He paid the best price for you and I to be able to have access 
to something many of you have never experienced because some of you are still talking to a headstone thinking God can't answer or fix or do what it is that you have need of him to do. In church, nothing could be further from the truth. The invitation, the stone is rolled away. The sea has been reserved. You just have to show up and you have to sit in it. Can I tell you what faith is, saving faith is? It's finally getting to the point where you see what God has provided and you rest in it. You say, how do I know I have saving faith? Listen, I've got faith that that chair would hold me right there. All of you in here did because you sat in it, right? You came in here in faith and you didn't even know it this morning. When you put yourself down in that seat, you had faith that it was going to hold you up. Amen? Amen. Everybody say, sit on it. He didn't leave you. He lifted you up. Amen? Amen? So he has a seat saved. I want to finish off this morning with, with, with wrapping this up. With some of you are still thinking that God left you where you left him. Some of you are wondering if there's a seat provided for you to sit on the disappointment and the hurt and the pain or whatever it is you're walking to, fear, anxiety, whatever it is. I just want to remind you that we have a hope in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 6, 19 says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. So let me give you three areas this morning where we can find hope in Jesus Christ. There's, there's hundreds, but th- these three I think will apply to everybody in this room in some form or fashion. Number one, Jesus gives us hope for stress. Has anybody ever been stressed out or anxious? And there's three snapshots at the end of Jesus' life before he went to the cross and he was, rose again on the third day. There's three snapshots. This snapshot is found in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, here, listen, first I want to tell you and make sure I paint an accurate portrait of Jesus. Jesus was never stressed or anxious about anything. Jesus was chill, y'all. You say, how do you know that? If you can get into a boat and be in the middle of a sea and be crossing the lake, and a storm comes up that, that scares people who have been fishermen all their entire life, where was Jesus? Asleep in the boat. It didn't bother him. Think about Mary and Martha. They go to Jesus' teaching in the living room after dinner, and Martha comes in and fusses, Jesus, tell Martha, tell Mary to come in here and help wash the dishes. He's like, Martha, chill out. Just, just relax. But can I tell you, the picture that we have of Jesus in the garden is not one of relaxed, is not one of no anxiety and no even probably just anxiousness and stress. That Listen, if you are so pushed to your limit, and I want to tell you something this morning when I talk about we have hope for stress and anxiety, statistically 66% of the people living in this country are stressed and anxious. 66%. When I read that, I thought, then Jesus has hope for our stress and anxiety because if Jesus has given us a seat to sit in and paid for it and he wants us to sit on it and not under it, I came to tell you this morning that in the garden we see that Jesus was very, very stressed. How do I know that? When you... When you, when you uh, sweat and it's like great drops of blood, yeah. you're stressed. Yeah. When you get up every so often and go back to your friends, if you want to call them that, guys, could you not pray with me one hour? Watch and pray. My time has come. My time has come. Oftentimes we think the victory was won on the cross, and it was because his blood was shed at that point. The victory was won in the Garden of the Gethsemane because here's what he said, not my will be done, but your will be done. So when it comes to hope for our stress and anxiety found in Jesus Christ, let me give you three things to do, and they're simple. Number one today is stay. Everybody say stay. Stay. Jesus could have run from what the cup was. Amen? Amen? He could have fled from what he knew was coming, but he didn't. He stayed, and the second thing he did was prayed. Everybody say prayed. So he stayed. He prayed. Oh, let me give you let me give you eight things. They do this survey every year. I missed this. Let me give you these real quick. 
eight things that there's a list of like 50, but these are the, I just picked eight. These are the things that are stressing people out today. Too many responsibilities, number one. Number one thing stressing people out today is too many responsibilities. How many can say a good amen? You got to take the kids here and you got to go here and you got to cut the grass and you got to do the dishes and you got to do the laundry and you got. Number two is finances. Number two stressor, according to the most recent survey in this entire country that they've done. Number three is workplace drama. Oh. Number four is marriage. Number five is our country. Number six is politics. Number seven is sickness. And I stopped at number eight. Number eight, most stressful, anxious thing that we deal with, according to the survey, is death. And Jesus stayed. He prayed. And listen to me. He surrendered. That's how we find hope in Jesus is by his example that he didn't run. Listen to me. When I say that he prayed, can I give you hope from the word of God today that says this? Be anxious for nothing. But by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made. Some of you feel like you're talking to a tomb and a headstone. You're not. He's a risen God who is available and ready. Why is he available and how is he available? As I began my sermon today, think about it. He knows what it's like to be us. That's what's so amazing about the God that most of you serve, and hopefully after today the rest of you will be serving, is he knows what it's like. Jesus was tempted in every way yet without sin. He not only gives us hope for our stress, Jesus gives us hope for our sin. Somebody say amen. Amen. Some in here may think that you are too far gone and done way too many things for Jesus ever to accept you and to forgive you. Can I tell you who tells you that? The devil. And why do I say that? Certainly there's some in here living much more closer to the cross than somebody on the other end of the road. Don't look around. (laughs) But let me tell you something. The Bible's very clear. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. So not only does Jesus have hope for our stress, we have hope for our sin. Because I want to tell you something today. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And let me just give you a pattern that's in the Bible that maybe this is the first time you've ever heard somebody say this. But go back to the garden. Sin they chose sin. They chose to disobey God. That's, let's call, quit calling them mistakes and call it what it is. It's sin. And here's what happens when sin entered the picture in the garden. They became ashamed. Everybody say ashamed. So sin brings shame, and shame brings separation. And the reason Jesus is the hope, not only for our stress, but he's the hope for our sin, is because he who, think about it, the son of the living God was laid on a cross and he was hung completely naked. What, what, did, what did Adam and Eve try to do after they sinned? They tried to cover themselves. Yeah. Think about this. The son of God. We carry a lot of weight of our own sin and shame. Can you imagine that multiplied by 20 billion? If you don't know what he did, here's what he did. He took upon the sin of everyone from beginning of time to the end of time. Think about that for a moment. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness. Come on. That's why he did it. That's the worst thing that we can remember on this Easter Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection. For you and I to have a seat in his presence, come on, somebody had to be separated from the goodness of the Father. He had never been separated from God until that moment, right there at the end, when he said, it is finished. I wasn't planning on saying this, but do you know what the word that word means? Telestai, it's a, it's a Greek word. But here's what it means. When, they would, when somebody would do a job, 
they would come with a bill, say they built you a table in your house or put up a new mud wall, I don't know. And they come and they say, the job is finished. When the bill came, the person paying would also say, Telestai, it is finished. So you got the bill and you also got the payment. Church, I came to tell you something this morning. Jesus gives us hope for sin because the bill has been paid and the work has been done. The invitation is his outstretched arms to come into fellowship with him. Sin brings shame and shame brings separation. God gives us hope for our stress. God gives us hope for our sin. And thirdly, if you would stand with me this morning and if my dear sisters would come. The third and final thing that I thought of is he gives us hope for our stress, hope for our sin. And thirdly, he gives us hope for sorrow. We have talked about the grave today when Jesus was hanging on the cross and died and everybody abandoned him, everybody left him. Everybody had walked away from him at this point. Everybody in this room has felt a deep sorrow. I can remember two phone calls in my life. Anybody ever had those phone calls when you answer and the voice on the other end, you just know? You just know. One time in particular, I was serving as a missionary running an orphanage down in Ecuador and I knew as soon as somebody said, it's for you, nobody had called us. We were calling out to other people. No phone calls had come into this orphanage compound up in the mountains of Riobamba, Ecuador. I knew as soon as I said hello, the voice on the other end of my sister-in-law to tell me my brother, my older brother, had died suddenly. It's such a heartbreaking moment. But can you imagine... The reason that Jesus is our hope for our sorrow is can you imagine the heartbreak of the father to have to turn his face away from the son who he loved so much? The son of God dead, the son of God lifeless, but on the third day he rose again. Listen to me today. Resurrection gives us hope. For We have this hope anchored where, can I tell you where that hope is anchored, I believe? It says that when he rose again, he was on the earth for 40 days, talked to his disciples, gave them instructions, gave them orders, and it said he went and sat down. <laughs> Listen, he conquered principalities, powers, hell, death, the grave, anxiety, sin, suffering, and he conquered sorrow this morning that no matter how hard and bleak it looks in the moment, there is, I didn't, and listen, I didn't say resuscitation power, I said resurrection power, because resurrection power is different than somebody being resuscitated, it means there's just a little bit of life there. He gives us hope for our stress and anxiety, which I know we all deal with, we all have so much on our plate. I'll give, you a, I'll give you a little tip. Get some of that stuff off of your plate. <laughs> some of you work like it's all up to you. And the moment you, that you realize that it's all him and you working together is when everything changes. Because I found that when my strength ends, his picks up. And his power is a lot greater than my power this morning because he has resurrection power. He gives you hope for your stress. He gives you hope for your sin. You came in here perhaps this morning and you just, you feel that shame. Can I tell you, if your conscience comes and kind of gives you a little bump, you listen to it. And you repent and turn away from it. I do want to tell you something this morning. Christ didn't die on the cross so you could live ashamed and stay away from him. Listen. Here's what I came to tell you. If Jesus can make it into the presence of God and sit down at the right hand of the Father, it means you can make it too. And the hope that we have is an anchor for our soul. So here's what I kind of get the picture of. Jesus ascends to heaven. It says that he went into the Holy of Holies and once for all sprinkled his blood upon that mercy seat that's in heaven. 
That means God does not look at you the same way he looked at you pre-Christ. When you come and accept the Lord and accept his forgiveness and believe in what he did for you, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You have been adopted into the family of God. And we've made it way harder than what the Bible makes it. You just have to believe. Doesn't it say that in the Bible? Confess him. Believe in his sacrifice. For by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the work of God. He paid for your seat. And that anchor that holds, and we we love the song, it holds beyond the veil. Listen, when you hit rough times of stress and anxiety, when you feel beaten up by the world and feel like you're just a rotten sinner that can never, ever be forgiven by God, when you get to the place where you're deep in sorrow because you've lost something that's precious to you, and we all have been there, My anchor holds because he is seated at the right hand of the Father because he said with his last words, his first words were amazing, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Anybody else thankful that Jesus isn't like us? God's not like us because Jesus is what God wanted to say to everybody. I would have been calling down the legions of angels. Oh, you want to spit at me, huh? fireballs and hail and that's me he's not like us his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and some of you walked in here and you're under stress you feel like the weight of sin is upon your shoulders and if it is it's because you need to repent and put your faith in christ Greatest day of my life was in February 1997 when I was so convicted. I knew, here it is, I knew that if I were to die and the Holy Spirit was speaking to me over and over and over again, and the things I was doing were reckless and it was coming. I wasn't, my, my parents would have gotten the phone call, he's dead. And I walked into the church service and I asked Christ to forgive me and wash me clean. And guess what? He did. In the Old Testament, and most of you know this, in the Old Testament when they put the blood on the doorpost as as the angel would pass over, the the angel didn't open the door and say, who's worthy in here? He just looked for the blood. The blood that shed down on Calvary was for your sin and my sin. All you have to do is know that you've got a seat paid for and a seat at the banquet table of the Lord. Who would not want that bow your heads with me this morning that's that's my question is the seed has been provided the seed has been set out there and god wants you to sit on it not under it the very thing that the enemy had tried to stop jesus with was the very thing that the angels like he did it every easter i wake up and my first thought is he really did it he really did it he paid for it and God said, Amen. You were sinless, spotless, and he rose him from the, resurrected him from the dead. I want to ask this question very simply. You came in here today and you may have come because somebody invited you. And you may have come because somebody just said, hey, go to church. We're so glad that you're here. But let me tell you what would make God's heart happy is if you surrendered everything to him. That's what eternal life is. It isn't bargaining with God. You are a sinner separated from God if you're not in faith in him. Let me ask this question. Who says, I just want to surrender everything to Jesus on Easter Sunday, and I want to give my life to Christ in complete and total abandon? Would you raise your hand this morning? We don't, we're just going to pray, all pray together here in just a minute. Amen. Amen. Shoot that hand up high. You just, you got some things you need to get right with God. And I know we're all here. I got my hand up too. Let's do that this morning. Let's all pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Son, that he went to the cross, that he suffered, he bled, he died, but he rose again. Paying the debt of my sin, And today, Father, 
I believe, I receive, I admit that I am a sinner apart from you. Today, Lord, I receive forgiveness and fellowship and a seat at your table. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Change my heart. In Jesus' name. If you meant that prayer with all your heart, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him. And it says, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Can we thank God for salvation this morning? Can we thank God for the gift of Jesus Christ? Thank God for everything that he did for us. Well, church, I want to tell you, if you're visiting with us today, thank you for joining us and thank you for coming into Christian Center Church. Again, if you come back two or three more times, you're family. And I also see all throughout here many family members. We're so honored that you're here and that you chose to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ right here with this family. And we, we always do something here at the end. And if you're not used to this, it's just something that's always on my heart as the pastor is to bless the flock that God has put me in spiritual charge of. So could you just lift your hands? If you're not comfortable doing that, you don't have to, but let your pastor bless you on this Easter Sunday. Father, we pray your blessings upon this whole entire congregation. Father, I pray for visitors and family and Christian Center Church members that they would be blessed going in and blessed going out. Father, they would be blessed at work and they would be blessed at home. Father, I pray that your face would turn towards them, shine upon them, give them peace, and give them rest. Lord, during these times of anxiousness and anxiety and, God, overwhelming feelings, Father, I pray for this congregation that, God, they would sit in the seat above it all, not under it all today. Father, bless them as they go. And, God, I pray your protection upon each and every heart, soul, and body until you bring us back together at the appointed time. Father, for those who are listening online, and, God, those who are struggling even physically in their bodies, may resurrection life touch them, God, today. By the power of resurrection and the precious blood of Jesus, we pray this day in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Look, visit, hug. We probably still have some donuts there in the back if you want to catch you a donut there real quick. Yes, I did want to say this. Families, we put a lot of work and time into a very nice Easter backdrop right here in the Fellowship Hall. It was just too big to put in here. So if you want to, just go to the back. Get some family pictures, guys. We, we would be honored if you did that.